Well, we are back in 2 Peter today. And in case you're wondering, Sid made it back on his motorcycle trip. So glad to have him back as well. Just a quick review um, in light of last week, if you didn't make it with us. Um, last week, Peter was making it very clear that he wasn't going to be around long. He's getting old, and he wanted to make sure that the audience he was writing to would stay faithful to the Lord. So we covered last week, there are three things that uh, God wants us, through Peter, to understand, or lock in, or hold dearly, make as absolutes in our life. Anybody remember what those are? Something about Jesus. Well, that's not, yep, that's number two for sure. So the first one is that Jesus is the Son of God. Just lock it in. Lock it in. Number two, the Bible is reliable. The Bible is the Word of God, yep. Is God-breathed, yeah. It was written by authors, but it was God-breathed, carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so we are to lock in those core beliefs that Jesus is God, the Bible's reliable, it's reliable because the Holy Spirit carried along as God breathed. Well, uh, today we're going to talk about why, and I'll give it to you in two words. False teachers. Uh, these are people who knowingly or unknowingly uh, deceive you with lies and oftentimes can be right in your community or around people that you know or people that you happen to trust. And so we're going to be in 2 Peter chapter 2 today, but just to kind of set the course of our time... We're going to see a little bit later that false teachers are some of the boldest and some of the most arrogant in their teaching. And so I want to encourage all of us, as we talk about false teachers, to be incredibly slow to slap labels on other people. In fact, I want to encourage you to be very slow to slap labels yourself with your mouth, but also on social media, because when you take to the social media world, you then seek to influence others, and you then really set yourself up as an influencer or teacher. And there's accountability before God for what we say and how we lead others. So be very slow to slap labels. Um, as a Bible teacher, I want to be very cautious about being prideful about what I think, but I want to be really confident about who Jesus is and what his word says. And so I want to encourage you today, as we walk through this passage, we're going to cover the whole chapter, actually, chapter 2. Our confidence needs to be directly anchored in the words of Scripture. So if you find yourself being confident in what you think or believe, and you do not have a direct link to the words of Scripture, I want to caution you in your pride this morning. All right. With that being said, we're going to get into the text. We're going to cover quite a bit of ground. Let me ask the Lord to help us as we go through the text and help us by his spirit to understand all about false teachers. Lord, I ask that you would help us uh, really grasp what your spirit spoke through uh, Peter here. Uh, Lord, help us to have an understanding and then help us to believe it and then help us to act on it in a way that we can stay faithful to your word and anchored to your truth. Thank you for my friends here. What a delight that we can be together uh, through the reading and teaching of your word. Uh, we trust you now. We ask for your guidance in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. 
So because we're covering so many verses, I'm going to jump right in. You guys can see it right in your outline. The first one we're going to see in verses 1 through 3, all about false teachers. They are here. Do not be surprised. He says this in verse 1. After he just said that the word of God came through empowered by the Spirit. There were also false teachers or prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Now many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. So again, in your outline, you can see they are here. Don't be surprised. Just give you a little bit of a history in the Old Testament. He says they were here in Israel or among the people. Um, You're going to hear in a little bit, we're going to be talking about Balaam. But Balaam uh, was a false prophet in the Old Testament uh, that the Moabites actually saw out as the people of Israel were coming into the land. The Moabites were terrified that the Israelites were going to destroy them. So they sought this false prophet. They started channeling money to him and said, why don't you come, bless us, and curse Israel? In the process of that, he attempted to do so out of greed to somehow harness the demonic world. He gets stopped by a, you got it. It's a crazy story, but it's true. The angel of the Lord stood in front of him, and the donkey is the one who stopped him. And the donkey, through an an audible voice, God used through a donkey to stop him. God intervened on behalf of Israel through Balaam. And instead of him cursing Israel, he brought four blessings. And God actually superseded or moved beyond his abilities to bless Israel. And the Lord shipwrecked his false, uh, wicked plans motivated by greed. Another one that you probably are familiar with. In the book of 1 Kings, with Elijah, uh, there were over 450 prophets of Baal, 400 prophets of Asherah, the Canaanite goddess, and uh, they were actually, it says they were funded by Jezebel. So there were false prophets funded by the queen among the people, no doubt proposing false uh, pagan ideas. Jeremiah 23, I'm going to read this to you as well. Jeremiah 23, get this thing turned on. All right, you want to advance me, Emily? All right. Jeremiah 23 says, I have heard what the prophets say who prophesy lies in my name. They say I had a dream. I had a dream. How long will this continue in the hearts of those lying prophets who prophesy the delusions of their own minds? They think the dreams they tell one another will make people forget my name, just as their ancestors forgot my name through Baal worship. Let the prophet who has a dream recount the dream, but let the one who has my word speak it faithfully. So he says, there were false prophets among you, and they were among them in the past. But Jeremiah says, the one who has the words, speak it faithfully. And so just to kind of set the course of the rest of this chapter, I want to speak very plain today. I want to be very direct with you. And 
I have no special word other than the written word of God, right? And I want to encourage you with this. My hope is that we read the text, I bring light to it, and then you can actually see a direct line from what I'm saying to the text. In light of the fact of I'm standing up here talking about false teachers. I want to make sure you guys can see a direct correlation and connection to the word. He goes on to say... In the text, just as there will be false teachers among you. Now, in Matthew 12, the Pharisees blasphemed the Holy Spirit when they actually claimed that the work of Jesus was the work of Satan. They actually claimed that. You are the work of Beelzebub. Question of the day is this. In the time of Jesus, the modern teachers of that time, what were they drawing people to believe about Christ. He's not the Messiah, right? And they were profaning him. They were putting him down. In fact, brought him to the point of the crucifixion. And though they crucified him, the sovereign Lord, we see that he bought them in the process of that. So we're told by Jesus to evaluate the fruit of false teachers. And the fruit of these teachers in Matthew 12 is that they rejected Jesus and his salvation. They actually rejected the authority of Christ, and ultimately they exploited people of that day through the manipulation of the law. In fact, it was working so well, the Apostle Paul said it this way. What is going on with this remote? We'll see. Oh, there it goes. Paul says it this way, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? So Paul really clearly understood that there were false teachers right in their midst that day that were promoting the law as a means of salvation. And he's commanding him, don't don't slide back into thinking that somehow... You can do enough good works to earn God's favor. But at the same time, there's a command and there's false teachers that will promote a license to sin. If we're forgiven, we can pretty much do whatever we want, right? And Paul addressed that in Romans 16. He says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out, um, to watch out for those who cause divisions and put obstacles in your way that are contrary to the teaching you've learned. Keep away from them. For such people are not serving the Lord Christ, but their own appetites. By smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the minds of naive people. Everyone has heard about your obedience, so I rejoice because of you. But I want you to be wise about what is good, and I want you to be innocent about what is evil. And he gives them an encouragement and a promise. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. So if you look at the text, it goes on to say that they will secretly induce or introduce uh, destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord, that is the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Now, if it's a secretly introduce, there seems to be a sense of among the people. You know, when somebody comes to your door and they're saying something off, There's nothing really secret or stealth about it. But if you look at the text, they secretly introduce. It implies that they are among the people. It implies that they're not suspicious, strange people. 
but they're people that are somewhat trusted among the church. Now, the New Testament writers were very much concerned with false teaching. Jesus actually said in Matthew 24, Watch out that no one deceives you, for many will come in my name, and they will claim that I'm the Messiah, and they will deceive many. And they still do. The writer John was concerned the same way. He said, Who is a liar? It's whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. And today, you know people who deny that Jesus is God. In the book of Jude, Jesus' half-brother, he wrote on this same measure, he says this, For certain individuals who can, whose condemnation was written about long ago, they've secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who want to pervert the grace of our God into a license of, for immorality and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign and Lord. So, There were false teachers in the New Testament. There are false teachers today. And the destructive heresy mentioned in this text is they were denying Jesus as the sovereign master. They were failing to teach people to trust in Christ Jesus as the Son of God. It's eternally destructive when pastors, teachers, leaders fail to teach that Jesus Christ is the only way. Maybe you've been a part of church in your past and you're like, I was there for years and I never heard... How he could have my sins forgiven is very destructive. At the same time, I know there are churches in America that proclaim that Jesus died and rose again. And yet they don't teach that he's called us to live a holy life. That he's called, we're called to find freedom in submission to him. And that is also destructive for the church He goes on to say, look in verse 2, Many will follow their depraved conduct and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. The fruit of their teaching will cause disgrace to come upon the way. In other words, you'll hear phrases like, If Christians are that way, I don't want Christ. Following their teaching will result in destructive living. And the world mocks the gospel when people who believe or say they believe that Jesus Christ is the only way and they're forgiven, and yet they live differently. And it's sad to see, and I think we kind of all know it, I'm just stating the obvious, but the sexual state of the church today is really bringing a disrepute or um, mockery to the gospel of Christ that people proclaim brought them freedom. And I would say the emotional state of worry in the church today also brings a cloud and mockery over this awesome gospel that was paid for by the blood of Christ. Go on to verse 3. He says, In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with fabricated stories or lies. That they are motivated by greed, and they are seeking to exploit them with what? Stories. Glance back at chapter 1, verse 16. We started last week... With this verse, for we did not follow cleverly devised stories. So the Apostle Peter is saying is what we're talking about, they may seem unusual, may seem almost unbelievable, but we were eyewitnesses and these are facts. We got nothing to gain out of this, guys. This is just a fact. And he's saying false teachers actually make up stories and they usually have a motivation behind what they're doing. It's usually somehow control or money. 
Now, Jude referred to their judgment in the same way as Peter says this. He says this, their condemnation has been long hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. God has it under control in case you've encountered false teaching and you've really become unsettled about it. Um, He has it under control, and we'll read that in the next verses. But for now, point number one, false teachers were in Israel. False teachers were in the early church. False teachers are here today. Don't be surprised by it. Just know it's a reality that the truth has been dealing with since the beginning of time. All right? That's your first point. The second point is this, and you'll see verses 4 through 9. False teachers will pay. We can trust the Lord. Now, before we get into verse 4, Peter, who is concerned about false teaching, keeps us anchored, keeping us anchored until Christ returns, goes directly back to the Old Testament, specifically the book of Genesis, to address false teachers. It's not by accident that Peter goes to Genesis and in the church there's a belief that is take, getting traction specifically about the first 11 chapters viewing the, the book of Genesis as more allegorical or story. So it's not by accident and it's not by accident that Peter directly goes back to the beginning to talk about how God will judge false teachers and those who are wicked. It says this in verse 4, For if, or some of your translations say, since God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, And seven others. Again, going back to talking about how they're going to pay. We're going to uh, continue this thought. In Jude 6, the angels who do not keep their positions of authority but abandon their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound in everlasting chains for judgment on that great day. So we know according to Scripture that Lucifer rebelled and a portion of the angels rebelled with him. But Peter is actually taking the two accounts that are squished together in Genesis 6, and he's throwing it back to help us understand that God knows how to judge wickedness. Now, the first one is one that seems to be a rather strange situation, and for your reading, you can go back to Genesis chapter 6, but it's a throwback where it seems that the angelic world, fallen angelic world, crossed a line that God established between the angels and people. Very interesting. And following what God calls wickedness there, he says the, the thoughts of man were continuously evil all the time. But Noah was a godly man. And you have the account of the global flood. And so you have these two accounts squished together, and we're going to see in a little bit why God gave them to us. But just know this, there have been efforts today... I would call them false teaching, that consider the, glo- the flood that God brought on the earth not a global flood, but a local flood. It was a localized flood, people are saying. And yet if you read what Peter says about it, and you read what the book of Genesis says about it, 
It's a global flood. In fact, you get to the uh, Genesis 9 as they get off the ark and you start to see people repopulate. It says the entire population of the world was repopulated through the three sons of Noah. So, there is a movement to discount it, but Peter's saying is don't discount the beginning because it shows us something. We're going to see it here in a little bit. Verse 6. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what's going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, who was distressed by the depraved conduct of the lawless, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. Peter is throwing back to Genesis 18 and 19, where Lot, Abraham's nephew, lived in a community known for their horrific wickedness. The people were so wicked that in Genesis 18 19, God had the plan of raining down fire to destroy this whole region. The sin, you might ask, is sexual sin, specifically the sin of homosexuality. And the question I have for us today is, do you think it's by accident that today the church is abandoning God's teaching on holy sexuality? Is it by accident? God's plan for holy sexuality for one man, one woman, in marriage, for life. There are many tap pastors and teachers taking this social media getting on podcasts, promoting sexual sin. This throwback to Genesis 18 and 19 calls it wickedness. It's false teaching. So God knows how to punish angels who go outside his plan. We see in the text here, God knows how to bring a miraculous global flood. But at the same time in that destruction, he knows how to rescue the godly, Noah, We see that God knows how to bring down judgment upon a whole society bent on wickedness. And yet he knows how to rescue Lot. And it says that these were written as a something to be learned or so that we can believe verse 9. Look at verse 9. It says this, if this is so or so you see, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. Some of you, when I mention false teachers, kind of start to get discouraged. You start to feel a sense of, like, everywhere I turn, there are lies flying at my face. I go on the news lies. I talk to people lies. I meet with my family more lies. I can't flip on my phone more lies. And you get overwhelmed thinking, how can we be faithful to the Lord? I want to say this today. If your desire is to be faithful to the Lord and his word, the Lord has not forgotten you. There's two of you that heard that. If your desire is to be faithful to the Lord and his word, the Lord has not forgotten you. All right, at least 20 of you. He has a plan. He can rescue, and he can calm you in a very broken, difficult, wicked world. He's got a track record of judging. I would say this. Those who seek to discount the book of Genesis want us to forget that the Lord has the ability and a track record of judging sin. That track record is made to stir us in our stomachs, to acknowledge our need and our sin, and turn to Christ for the forgiveness of sins. It's meant to do that. False teachers are trying to get us to forget it. 
And we can be confident from this text that false teachers will be held accountable. And just a brief connection moment. Today, almost anybody can set themselves up as a false teacher. Uh, anybody can have a YouTube channel, any type, type of social media. And I just find it ironic that those who often uh, deconstruct their faith or walk away from their faith, they almost always take to social media to promote their newfound beliefs. And they set themselves up as a false teacher because almost always, as they speak, trying to influence others, they speak things that are directly contrary to the word of God. So I want to set the stage here. If you, as you seek scripture, have questions and doubts, that is okay. But don't confidently then step up and promote lies. Just come humbly to the word with, I have questions and doubts, and let the word of God inform you versus you setting yourself up now as one who's proposing false ideas. I would encourage you all, if you're doing some studying this week, read the book of Jude. book of Jude is almost like, it feels like it's a direct commentary connection to 2 Peter 2. It's an overview on God judging sin and deceivers, and it can give you some confidence that God has got this under control. All right, let's look at point number three. So they're here. Don't be surprised. They'll pay. We can trust the Lord. And number three, they can be identified. Let's take a look at their fruit. Verse 10. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Now, you got any influences in your life that uh, promote your hatred of authority? I'm going to ask that question again. You got any influencers in your life that promote your hatred of authority? That is not godliness. He says, this is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. Now, false teachers are identified like those in Noah's and Lot's time as slaves of the sinful nature. And false teachers will direct you to the work of the flesh. So I want you to think for a moment. Think about the influences in your life, whether it's podcasts or the conversations you have, friends you trust. As a result of filling your mind with these things, do these things become present in your life? Acts of the flesh are obvious. Sinful immorality. Impurity, debauchery, debauchery is just overindulgence in sexual or sensual sin, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions and envy and drunkenness and orgies or wild parties and the like. I warn you as I did before that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the text says in verse 10, this is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh. So, what do your influencers promote? If they're promoting that in your life, you need to run for those influencers. Evaluate your influencers, the fruit in their life. If they're growing that fruit in their life, They're not the teachers you want to follow. But the opposite is true. 
true teachers will promote you to the Holy Spirit. And these will be the fruit that grows off of true teachers. So when they teach these things, as you start to follow their teaching, these things will start to grow off your life. And as you evaluate their teaching, you can evaluate, do these things grow in their life? But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and forbearance or patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. So he says in verse 10, it's especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the flesh and they despise authority. And though we are not called to go around evaluating everybody's fruit, that's never told, us, told in Scripture that we're to do that, we are told by Jesus to evaluate the fruit of false teachers. And so just a real practical um, application, you can see I put it in your outline, that every time a person proposes a truth for me to consider, I should do these three things, just pr- practical ideas. First, ask this question, is this according to the counsel of the Bible? A muscle reflex. They propose this. Honey, let's go home and read the Bible and see what it says. Just a muscle reflex. Is this according to the counsel of the Bible? Number two, what is the fruit growing off of their life as a teacher? If it's the fits of rage, if it's these other things that we saw, put some distance between you and them. We can evaluate false teachers by the fruit of their teaching. And number three, if I follow this teaching, what will be the fruit in my life? So just a very practical idea. Is this according to the counsel of God's word? What's the fruit in their life? And then thirdly, what would be the fruit in my life if I were to follow it? Now, we're going to continue reading in verse 10 here. But Peter specifically points out several works of the sinful nature that these false teachers specifically display. He goes on to say, and the first one is this, arrogance. Bold and arrogant, they're not afraid to heap abuse on celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not heap abuse on such beings when bringing judgment on them from the Lord. But these people blaspheme in matters they don't understand. They're like unreasoning animals, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like animals, they too will perish." So when it comes to teachers, do not mistake boldness for truth. Do not mistake boldness for truth. We're in a society that really admires boldness and confidence. Do not mistake it. These false teachers are so blinded by their pride that they foolishly throw out commands at the angelic world. And uh, the book of Jude says that Michael, the archangel, wouldn't even bring an accusation against Lucifer. But he called upon Jesus to do so. And according to these verses, they've got arrogance because they flippantly and pridefully talk and engage with the spirit world. Godly teachers, on the other hand, confidently rely on the authority of Christ. And they don't flippantly, they don't... uh, loosely talk about the spirit world, but they respectfully rely on the word of God. Besides arrogance, we can see that they promote lust. Look at verse 13. It says, They will be paid back with harm for the harm they've done. Their idea of pleasure is to carouse in broad daylight. 
There are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce this unstable and they are experts in greed and a cursed brood. We know that earlier in 1 Peter, uh, he mentioned about Jesus. He says this, uh, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Here he talks about these false teachers as blots and blemishes. And he talks about their sin being in broad daylight. They were so consumed with their lust, they didn't even hide it anymore. False teachers saying things like, I was born that way. They justify their thinking or their sin by thinking, I'm not as bad as others. Or it's, you've, again, it's what culture's saying, it's consensual. They justify lust so much that they seduce the unstable. It says in the text here, but notice they don't seduce those who are anchored in the word. These false teachers promote lust. That is one thing, something God did not give you. And that can be sexual, but that can also just be plain and simply wanting stuff. And as Americans, I'm just telling you, because we have the possibility of credit cards and debt and all sorts of things, that temptation of lust, of wanting something God did not give us, is very, very, very strong. I want to warn you, those messages you hear about you deserve, you deserve, you deserve. Those messages are dripping off of commercials. We deserve punishment, but God gave us his forgiveness through Jesus. So, I want to encourage you that though they promote lust, we as children of God do not have to follow their ways. They promote arrogance, lust, and now, verse 15, they promote greed. They have left the straight way, it says, and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Bezor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, an animal without speech, who spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. You can read that in Numbers 22. Verse 17, he says, These people are springs without water, mist driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them. Now, tell me, what value does a spring have without water? None. Peter here calls them springs without water, mist driven by a storm. And these people are driven by greed. Godly teachers, Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 6, they promote godliness plus contentment as great gain. That's different than greed. That's very different than greed. So pay attention. Evaluate, evaluate, evaluate. Arrogance, lust, and now greed. Are they anchored in the truth of Scripture, my friends? Do their beliefs produce the fruit of the Spirit in their life? If not, put some distance between you and them. In our last point, we can see here, false teachers, they are here. False teachers, they'll pay. False teachers can be identified. The last one, we see it. They have victims. Don't be one. 
Verse 18, he says this, For they mouth empty boastful words, and by appealing to the lustful desires of the flesh, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in error. I really do believe that true believers here have a warning from the Lord. So you trust in Christ and you escape the way of error. You start to make progress in your Christian life and false teachers entrap you with big, smooth words. They sound very convincing. In fact, this is happening in modern psychology. I frequently hear modern psychological ideas promoted by humanism permeating Christians' worldview, and they sound really good. How is it that they actually make victims of Christians? Look at verse 19. They promise them freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For people are slaves to whatever has mastered them. So, notice what masters these false teachers. And then when you start to follow their teaching, notice what starts to master you. You ever notice that people claim a new breakthrough? A new way. And then when you start to follow their way, you become more entrapped, more burdened, more weighed down with following their way. So notice what masters them. Does worry master them? Does fear or anxiety or materialism, lust, idolatry, or money? Paul goes to great lengths in Romans 6 to say, That where the spirit of Christ is, there's freedom. That being a slave of Christ is actually freedom. He goes on to say to Timothy, in 1 Timothy 4, he says this, The spirit cleverly says that in later times some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry, and they order them to abstain from certain foods which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. And this is where Paul challenges younger Timothy If you point these things things out to the brothers and sisters, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished on the truths of the faith and of the good teaching that you have followed. So false teachers produce some form of bondage one way or another. Paul instructs Timothy, true teaching, submission to Christ, brings freedom for the believer in Jesus Christ. So we'll take it home in verses, four, uh, verses 20 on. It says this, Now if they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and are overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on this sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed returns to her wallowing in the mud. 
Now, just look back at verse 20. Notice the student here, the one being influenced by the false teacher, does know our Lord and Savior. It says, if they escape the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. They got off the path of living in sin and error by knowing Christ. And here they get trapped back in sin and entangled, caught in the web. And there are some who will quickly read this and say, well, maybe they fell away. Maybe they lost their salvation. It doesn't say that. But I want to read you another translation. I was reading it this morning early just for my devotional time. I was reading your passage. It's actually the New Living Translation nails this, this translation. And when people escape from the wickedness of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and then get tangled up and enslaved by sin again, they are worse off than before. So then how are they worse off? It would be better if they had never known the way to righteousness than to know it and then reject the command they were giving to live a holy life. So let me explain. Paul's, uh, Paul's Peter's letters in uh, chapter 1, he says that we have been given a very special promise. The forgiveness of sin through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus makes the claim very clearly that nobody will snatch us out of the Father's hand in John 10. So we've been given a promise. We've been forgiven of our sins through faith in Jesus Christ and we're guaranteed it. But because these promises are true... Peter says in chapter 1 of 1 Peter, you are to live a holy or set-apart life for the glory of Christ. What he's saying is when you know Christ and when you have walked in holiness according to the truth, when you go back to eating vomit, your life gets really messed up. Now, In a very real, practical sense, day to day, just watch. Take a born-again Christian who's been saved by grace through faith, who knows the truth, has walked in it, and then chooses to follow false teaching and the works of the sinful nature. Everybody around them can see how worse off they are. In fact, Peter's saying is, in a real, real sense, they're worse off than those who just don't know Jesus and just live in life. They're miserable. So, I want to encourage you, friends. These false teachers, they are here. You can see it in your outline. They'll pay, they can be identified, and they have victims. You don't have to be one. And following their teaching is like being a dog returning to eat its vomit or a pig wallowing in mud, and you don't have to follow. So I want to encourage you, be cautious about what you consume online, because you don't have to be a victim if you're anchoring yourself in the Word of God. If you know the Word, you know its reliableness, you'll be ready to detect it. So in a very real sense, as we wrap things up today, Peter knew the saving grace of God, through Jesus Christ. He knew it. But he also knew the mess that Christians could make who were carried along by false teaching. Again, it's not a real pretty picture comparing it to a dog returning to its vomit. Pretty ugly. 
But he's a realist, and he knows that we would be susceptible to all sorts of pain if we would take on these false teachers. So I want to give you some take-home applications today. Um, Just some, again, applying what we're read today about teachers are here, they'll pay, you can identify them and don't be one. Number one, false teachers will appeal to your sinful nature. Um, Honestly, when you get here teaching and you walk out going, man, they really stuck it to them. Be cautious. Godly teachers appeal to the authority of Scripture and they guide you to the fruit of the Spirit. Lean to, uh, learn to identify that sinful nature and learn to identify the fruit of the Spirit and daily just take steps closer to the Spirit. I want to encourage you. Number two, false teachers have something to gain by their influence. Consider it. Considering what can they gain from this teaching. Number three, the path of false teachers always brings destruction ultimately. Biblical truth brings you true freedom. You have to know the word to know the difference. A couple more for you. This is something that we routinely communicate um, as false, but faith plus works as a means of salvation has got to be one of the most destructive heresies of all time because effectively, again, Sid repeatedly says this, if you have to add works to your salvation, to the work of Christ, essentially what you're saying is work is not enough and you're really depending on yourself. And final two things. False teachers refuse to teach holiness. They refuse to teach submission to Christ as a pathway to joy and freedom. Godly teachers explain how freedom can only be found in surrendering to him. So you trust in Christ. You have the forgiveness of sins. You're his child. True freedom is found in surrendering to Christ. Slavery to sin will follow when submission to him is not taught. Churches are not teaching that. And lastly, teaching people trapped in sin to appeal to their feelings, their emotions, or culture over the reliable truth of the word will lead to false teaching, false beliefs, and inevitable, you will see an enslaved lifestyle. So, false teachers are everywhere, friends. And if it terrifies you, don't worry. Seriously, don't worry. Just get in the word. Pretty simple, right? Get the word. Keep your eyes on loving and living for Jesus. And I really do believe you'll be fine. Because Peter already told us the truth about it. And I'm going to close with this. 2 Peter 1.3 His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. That's what we can be confident on. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your truth. It's a bit unsettling in our stomach when we consider how deceitful the evil one is and how easily we are carried away with things that are almost true but not Lord, give us the strength today to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, anchoring ourselves in the word, your truth, day by day. Lord, I pray that whether Sid, Nathan, or myself as the pastors or our teachers here in the church, Lord, I pray that this generation of teachers would stay true to your word and stay true to who you are, Jesus 
But beyond us, Lord, if you, Terry, and there are other leaders, I pray that there would be futures of leaders that would stay faithful to your word until you come back. Lord, you are our only way. Thank you for giving us hope that you know how to rescue the godly. And we lean on you and help us, Lord, to fix our eyes on you in this very difficult season of living on this planet. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.